here today. If you would take your copy of God's Word and join me in turning to the New Testament. In fact, the very first book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. And I'm looking forward to continuing the series we began last week entitled By the Book. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're in between places. You need somewhere to stay. You have a friend that says, hey, I'm going to be gone. You can stay in my place. They leave the key for you, you find the key, and there's a note with the key that says, make yourself at home, eat whatever you want. So you very happily go inside and you walk to the fridge to find out what it is you get to eat. You open the door to the fridge and there's some very, very old leftovers and uh, maybe some expired milk and the proverbial uh, thing of baking soda. I'm not exactly sure why that's in every fridge, but it is in every fridge. And and, uh, so you look there and there's just a bunch of old stuff and uh, none of it looks very appealing. And so you then make your way to the pantry, you open the pantry, and there's just kind of some random stuff in there, maybe a can of like coconut milk, you know, and uh, uh, maybe one can of tuna, and you're seeing just all these spices and and, uh, some interesting stuff. But again, nothing really that you would know, how do I use this, how do I make this personal to me? And, uh, and so you think there's some old stuff and there's some interesting stuff, but I don't know that there's any stuff that would actually help me right now in my life. And, and I think many times people look at the Bible that way, not even intending to be disrespectful. We just think of the Bible. It's an ancient text. And so there's some old stuff in there, no doubt about it. And, and most people would concede readily. There's some interesting stuff in there. As you read the Bible, you're going to find things that are interesting. But many times we say, well, the Bible's full of old stuff. It's full of interesting stuff. I just don't know that there's any stuff in there that's going to actually move the needle in my life. And I want you to know that the Bible is not like your friend's place where he says, come on in and eat whatever you want, and there's nothing in there for you. The Bible is more like Costco. It's one-stop shopping. I mean, anything you could ever need is found in there, and quantities that you'll never exhaust. It's got every possible thing that will touch your life. Now, in our last study, we took some time to to discover what the Bible is. It is God's word. We came to understand it is God's inspired word. And we were grateful to learn that the word of God equips us for every aspect of life. And God's word enables us so that we can do that which God would have us to do. Now I want to go down a bit deeper today and I want to speak about a doctrine. We learned last week that the word doctrine just means a taught truth. And so the Bible is doctrine and there are specific doctrines within the Bible, I want to go down a bit deeper today and talk about the doctrine that we refer to as the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, I don't want to get too academic, but going in, I want to be very clear what it is I'll be seeking to share with you, and this is a specific doctrine, the sufficiency of Scripture. I'll give you a little bit of a textbook definition of what we mean when we speak of the sufficiency of Scripture. Here it is. In the Bible alone, God has given humanity all things that are necessary for the proper understanding of who He is, who we are, how He has acted in the past, and what He expects from us. In short, the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture means that the Bible lacks nothing when it comes to what we need to know or guidance for what it is we need to do. 
when David was writing in the Psalms, he wrote Psalm 19. And by the way, next week is Friends Day, and I hope that you are excited about that. I'll be bringing a message next Sunday from Psalm 19. But I want to just share one verse in Psalm 19 with you right now. David writing said, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. We're going to talk about what is it to have our soul converted. He said the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I love the fact that David there says that God's word is perfect. And again, last week we learned that God's word is without error. It's perfect, but that's not the sense in which David used the word there. The word perfect means more than just without error in that context. It means to be complete, lacking nothing. It literally means sufficient. David said, let me tell you something about the word of God. It is sufficient. Help us understand, I could share maybe a few hundred verses with you today where the Bible gives us this idea. I thought it would be better for us to focus primarily on one passage that really illustrates this for us. And so, with God's help, I want us to look to Matthew's Gospel. If you're able to join me in standing this morning, I'll invite you to do that. Let's stand together as we read the Word. Matthew chapter 4. A lot of you said happy birthday to me today. Thank you for reminding me it was my birthday today. And uh, they, they are not happy birthdays anymore, they're just birthdays. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, you, you kind of reach the, the halfway point of life, and, and uh, so uh, I'm grateful that uh, I'm here. I did nothing to get here. We should probably all congratulate my mom. She did the heavy lifting for my birthday, but uh, I appreciate you guys very much. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to be, and I want us to read these first 11 verses. I'll read them aloud. I hope you'll be following along in your copy of God's Word there. The Bible says, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up, into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written, Again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus saith unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. I'm going to read the last verse in a moment. I think it's interesting that Jesus makes a connection there that the devil said to Jesus, I want you to worship me. And Jesus said, I'm not going to worship you or serve you. He finds a connection between the two. And really, we worship in life what it is we serve. And Jesus made it very clear. I know what you're asking me to do, worship, but no, I'm not going to worship you nor serve you. And I think it's important at times we evaluate in our lives, where's all my attention? Where's all my energy going? Jesus made that connection. In verse 11, the Bible says, Then the devil leaveth him. And behold, angels came and ministered unto him. I want you to take note, if you would, in verse 4, 
If your Bible's like mine, the words that Jesus spoke are in red. If they're not, it's not a big deal. But the, the first words that Jesus spoke there in response to the temptation of, of Satan is, it is written. I want you to go down to verse 7. Jesus said unto him, it is written again. I want you to look in the midst of verse 10 where Jesus there again says, it is written. And uh, I want us to think together today of this incredible encounter in the life of Jesus Christ and his response as he replied to the devil over and over and over. It is written. Our Father, we're thankful to be here today. And Lord, as we study the Bible, I pray that uh, just as we look into the Bible, we'll allow your word to look into our lives and to point out those areas where we need to learn or grow. And uh, I pray that you would be glorified as a result of our time together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. When he first asked, John said no. No. And so Jesus asked again. He insisted. He let John know, no, this is a necessary thing. And so John the Baptist, in response to the request of Jesus, went ahead and baptized him. He put Jesus under the water. He brought him up out of the water. It was an incredible moment. And when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, something amazing happened. The Bible tells us that God the Spirit descended on God the Son, and God the Father was there as well. All three parts of the Trinity are present in this incredible moment, and, and we read of this in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17 and lo a voice from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased there never has been a son that didn't want to hear the affirmation and uh, the recognition of their father and so God the father speaks uh, of the son in this moment I'm sure this was one of the great moments in the life of Jesus Christ it's from that high moment that we read of in Matthew chapter 3 that we begin our reading in Matthew chapter 4. From the banks of the Jordan River in this, in this incredible moment at the baptism of Jesus, we're finding that Jesus is next, as the Bible says, led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, unlike our temptations where we have an opportunity to learn more about ourselves and how to deal with these things, the temptation of Jesus really was an occasion to provide us a testimony and in many ways an example. Later it would be written in Hebrews chapter 4, for example, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. The Bible tells us that we have in Jesus a high priest who knows what it is to wrestle with the things that we wrestle with in life. He identified with the struggles and trials that we all face, and his response to them was incredible. After 40 days alone in the wilderness and without food, the devil comes to Jesus. He tempts him three times, three different approaches, and I want you to know today that the approach that the devil used with Jesus in the wilderness is the same approach that he used in the garden with Adam and Eve, and it's the very same approach that he's going to use in your life and that he uses in my life. He sought to ensnare Jesus by putting out the temptation that the Bible refers to as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the three approaches that Satan uses. He used it in the beginning, he used it in the time of Christ, and he'll use this in our lives. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He has no new tricks, that's what he'll use when he comes after you. He'll appeal, that is, to your desire for pleasure. 
That's the lust of the flesh. He'll appeal to your desire for possessions. That's the lust of the eyes. And he will appeal to your desire for power. That is the lust or the pride of life. That's how he works. He always works that way. And, and there's so much that could be said about each of those temptations. We could take the time today to really dig into what the devil said and what it all means. But today, I want us to consider specifically and exclusively the response that Jesus Christ had to these various temptations that were brought to him by Satan. In each case, Jesus dealt with the temptation by quoting Scripture. In each case, he, he said, uh, uh, I want you to know I'm bringing you the Bible in, in response. Now, Jesus would begin by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Of course, the New Testament hadn't come together at this time. He's, he's quoting from the Old Testament. And in Deuteronomy 3 is where Jesus gets the words that say, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He, he was saying, God provides for us through his word. He was speaking of what we now call the sufficiency of Scripture. Now with that backdrop in mind, I want us to consider what Christ said and what it means and what it means for us as Christ followers. If you're taking notes today, here's the first truth I'll share with you. The Bible is sufficient for everyone. The Bible is sufficient for everyone. Now, we're going to dig into the words that Jesus said, but before we do that, the first point we really need to consider is who it is that made this statement, who it is that we're studying. It was Jesus who said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, if you're listening today, say amen. It was Jesus who said that. Jesus Christ is God the Son. Jesus is co-equal, he is co-eternal, he is co-existent with God the Father. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is our Lord and it is Jesus who saves. And this Jesus quoted scripture in a time of temptation and that gives us quite an example. I want you to know that the Bible is sufficient for everyone. When I was in high school, I had a job. I worked for a painting company that got contracts with large management, uh, apartment management firms, and we would go in and paint the apartments when people moved out, and it had to be done quickly, as you can imagine. And, and my boss was a great guy. He worked really well with my schedule. I'd give him the nights I could, and I'd always put in a long Saturday unless it was football season, and I really enjoyed working with him. And uh, he taught me a lot. And he, he since has passed away, but I was really always grateful to spend time with him. And, and uh, I, I remember he would a lot of times have several jobs going, and he'd have to go from place to place and do whatever it is bosses on painting uh, jobs do. But he'd show up, and I, what I always admired about him is he was the boss, he had crews, uh, he had a, a good business, but if he was ever on a job site for any amount of time at all, he'd pick up a brush or he'd pick up a roller and he'd start working. And honestly, you think you're painting fast until you see someone who's really good at painting. This guy was phenomenal. And uh, I, I would watch him and I would admire how much he would get done and how hard he would work and how fast he would go. And there was something in me as a high school guy who was just glad to have a job and kind of admired this guy I was working for. There was something in me that thought, if he's the boss and he works that hard, and if he gets that much done, I want to do the very best I can do as well. He inspired me. He was a good leader in that way. And I think it's similar here with Jesus Christ. 
I want you to know, Jesus went through all he did and he responded with a statement about the Bible to provide us with an example. Peter wrote of this in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. He said, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Jesus did what he did to provide the pattern for us, the example for us in our lives. Paul, the apostle, on one occasion wrote to Timothy, a young pastor, and he told Timothy, he said, Timothy, I want you to know it's the scriptures that made you wise as a child. David, for example, wrote that the scriptures make the wise simple. And the point we need to see is it doesn't matter if we're immature, as Timothy was as a child, or if we're inexperienced, as David referenced when he wrote, the Bible is filled with all we'll need for growth in life and for guidance in life. It gives us everything we need. I want you to know the Bible is sufficient for you. You're not excluded from this point of the message. You're not exempt from this point in the message. There is not one person in this room today who can say, I am so good, I am so awesome, I am so thoroughly amazing that I don't need what God has offered in the Word. No, it's for you. And there's nobody in this room today who can say, I'm so bad, I've done so many wrong things that probably the Bible will no longer work in my life. Friends, I want you to know the Bible is sufficient for everyone. Jesus Christ, God the Son, quoted Scripture to teach us of the importance of it in our life. Jesus made it a habit of making profound statements. But what makes this statement profound is the fact that He is the one that made it. Jesus quoted the Old Testament, and that's a profound thought to consider that God the Son said, let me share with you how I fight these battles. I throw scripture at them. The Bible's sufficient for everyone. Here's the second thought today. The Bible is sufficient for everything. Jesus made the incredible statement we read in verse 4. But another interesting fact that we have to consider is that he used scripture as an offensive weapon to bring victory it was an offensive weapon now i don't know all the ways that jesus can defeat an enemy but i know some of the ways um, i know that jesus could have used the power of his voice and in that song right before the message liz did such a great job sharing with us even just the power of the spoken word of god it, we know we could go back to the beginning and uh, it was the power of the spoken word of Christ that brought creation into existence. We know in the end it will be the power of the spoken word of the Lord that will uh, uh, devastate those who have denied him. He can certainly use the power of his spoken word. He could have simply revealed his glory to the devil and Satan would have ran for cover. Maybe Jesus could have chosen in this instance to use logic because no mind can outthink the mind of God. He could have used any number of different approaches, but he chose to begin each of these temptations by saying, it's written. He said, we're going to get to the Bible now. I've got a Bible answer for that. You see, Jesus is God, and the power of his voice makes a difference. The power of his glory can change things. There's no mind like his, but he was teaching us about the power of the Bible. Listen to how the devil dealt with Jesus in the first temptation we read in in verse 3 of this fourth chapter of matthew he says this and when the tempter came to him he said if thou be the son of god command that these stones be made bread why you see seeking immediately to cast doubts if 
if. He, he was that way all the way through, seeking to be deceptive. And friends, for that reason, there's no greater response than to shoot the Word of God right back. To throw the Word of God when doubts have been brought up. Jesus teaches us it's really all about what God has to say about us. I want you to know today, it's not what the devil has to say about you. It's not what other people have to say about you. And thank God today, it's not even what we have to say about ourselves. We're so quick to take on labels. Jesus is teaching us here, hey, it's all about what God says about you. And it's important for us to understand that and remember that. When I was a kid and got my driver's license, I remember I was going to take a road trip to Colorado where my family's from. And, and uh, so I got ready to go. My dad said, all right, son, I'm going to give you something. Don't lose it. And if you get in a pinch, you can use it. And it was a gas card. And I decided when he handed me that card, I was going to get in a pinch. I, I decided when he gave it to me, I will use this card, you know. And, um, and so we hit the road. And I want you to know, uh, I had already had a full tank of gas. We left. And I looked the entire trip, uh, about 780 miles from where I was living in Long Beach, where I was driving to Colorado, and then I had to drive that many back. I want you to know, I looked the entire trip. I never one time saw a gas station that took that gas card. It was some obscure gas card, as far as I know. There was only one of those stations, and it was near our home in Long Beach. And Dad gave me a gas card, and he said, Now, son, don't lose this. It's valuable. Uh, it can help you. And, and uh, you can use this if you get in a pinch. And, you know, again, that's kind of a way we often look at the Word of God. So many would testify. They believe the Bible is the Word of God. The majority uh, of Americans would, would say, You know, we believe the Bible is God's Word. There may be some misunderstandings there, but, but many people would, would say, you know, we believe there's value in it. We're just not sure how to connect to the power that comes from it, the wisdom that is within it. We need to know today that God's word can deal with anything we go through in our lives. And I don't want to be cliche, but I want to be so obvious today. If it's a marital issue you're dealing with or a parenting issue you're dealing with or you're going through a time of grief or discouragement or depression, maybe it's something as practical as budgeting or friendships or career decisions, whatever it may be, God's word speaks about it. There's something in the Bible for everything we'll go through in life as it relates specifically to temptation we read in first corinthians chapter 10 there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man but god is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it the Bible says there, hey, there's no temptation, which is more than just an allurement to sin. It just means in general a trial or a test. The Bible says there's no test you'll go through that you're not going to find from a faithful God a way of escape. And it's God's word that will direct us at those moments in our lives. Our family's farm in Colorado that I just mentioned, there's a, a we call it a cabin. It's really just a house. A lot of you guys have been there with me over the years, but... Uh, it's a place that I love to go. It does for me what really no place on earth does, man. I get excited just thinking that I get to go there soon. And, and uh, if, if you ever went there, you need a key to open the gate. There's a gate. You need a key to open the gate. And then if you got to the cabin, you need a key to get in the front door. And uh, we have one of those gators, you know. If you wanted to drive the gator, there's another key to unlock that so you could get to that. And I mean, you're going to need some keys. But what we did 
because there were so many keys and so many people in the family wanted one, we had it so that all of those different locks could be worked with a single key. One key unlocks all of those different things. And I want you to know that's similar to how the Bible is. The Bible is a key that can unlock the various things through which we go in life. It's, it's the one key that, that touches on every issue that we will deal with. And I'm telling you today that Jesus is revealing to us that victory is found in the Word of God. The Bible is sufficient for everyone, for you, for me. The Bible is sufficient for everything. It touches on everything we'll deal with in life. And here's the third thought. The Bible is sufficient for God's purpose. I want to say this point may be the very point that prompted me to bring this entire sermon series. The Bible's sufficient for God's purpose. So in this passage, we've seen the devil came at Christ with three temptations. In each case, the Lord defeated them with Scripture. And we can see in this that the Bible is sufficient for everyone and for everything. But there's another thought here. And in each of the encounters Jesus had with the devil, it was the will of the Father that Jesus was pursuing. It was that life that God had given him to live. Now, we saw how that works in our lives uh, last week. Paul taught Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So all of the Bible, it's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine. That tells us what's right. Uh, it, it's reproof. That tells us, hey, you're wrong here. It's correction. How do you get right? And then instruction in righteousness. How do you keep going on the path that God has for you? And it's that the man of God may be perfect, matured, complete, and furnished unto all good works, equipped that God furnishes us, but the ultimate end there is good works. Let me say it this way, God's works for our lives. Now I'm mentioning this today because there's a trend of thinking that somehow makes the Bible subservient to our wishes rather than being subservient to the commands. We want the Bible to be subservient to our wishes rather than personally becoming subservient to the commands we find in scripture i'm saying today we're not to use the bible to get our will accomplished but the bible will be useful in helping us to discern the will of god and do what he wants hey pastor what are you talking about i'm talking about the vast majority of preaching and teaching that i hear in public places tv and radio and and it, it seems to be growing faster than any type now that wants to just pick a verse out of scripture without understanding the context and trying to claim that as a promise that we use to then get God to do what we want I believe all I've said today is true God's word is for you it's for everything but friends at the end of the day God's word is to lead us and equip us to do his will and many times preachers and teachers and Christians espouse an approach to the Bible it wants to cherry-pick that single verse without a context and, and use it to can uh, kind of like a lucky rabbit's foot it's gonna help us get whatever we want and I'm telling you today it just does not work that way that leads to disappointment God's word is to lead us not to be leveraged by us I'm not to just find an obscure verse out of the Old Testament that says God's going to be good to you and say it says it right there that's it I've got to understand the context what's really happening there 
Psalm 119, 105 helps us understand that God wants to lead us. David said there of the word of God that it's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That, that light from God's only going to illumine where it is that God wants us to go. We have to follow the word. The implication there is that there is darkness and God provides light. There is a path we're to follow and the path is God's path. It's possible to twist the words of God to make them mean something different than God intended. If you're with me, say amen. amen. I'll pick on my daughters. Neither one of them are here today. I have two daughters. They're grown now. But just imagine when they were younger, if uh, one of them came to me and said, Dad, listen, I know it's a school night. And I know normally you like us in, but I want to go out with my friends tonight. Uh, what do you think? Please, Dad? Please? And uh, they, they had me so wrapped. I mean, the answer was always yes, generally, you know. I have a rule in parenting. It was say yes every time you possibly can. Because there are those times you just have to say no. So I said yes every time I could, you know. And imagine they come to me. We, we want to go out. It's a school night. And imagine I thought about it and I said, all right, you can go. But I want you home by 10. So they happily go. They got their way. Imagine they're out and they're uh, with their friends. And, and uh, imagine it gets close to 10 and they say to a friend, you know, my dad said I want you home by 10. But what did he really mean by you? You know, that's one of those words. It could be a specific you or I might speak generally to you. And you know, I wonder really what dad meant by you. I mean, was it just general? Like people in general should be home by 10? Um, Maybe it was just more of an observation. Dad was just making an observation that people in general should be home by 10. Maybe it was just a suggestion. Imagine a few more minutes go by and, and they say, I wonder what dad meant by home. Did he mean our home or just like homes in general? You know, maybe he was just trying to say we should probably be in a home. And, and after all, I've heard it said that home is where the heart is. So I guess I'm home wherever I am because that's generally where my heart is, you know, and that's probably what he was getting at. Maybe that's what he was ultimately saying. Imagine time goes on and, and they think, you know, he never specified 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. <laughs> In fact, he never did tell me which time zone. I mean, is this like Pacific Standard Time or, you know, it's seven right now in Hawaii. Maybe we should go off of, of that clock. How many of you think if my kids rationalized my words that way, they'd be headed for some big time problems, okay? Yes, very good. I would sick Lisa on them. They would be in big trouble, okay? <laughs> I'm afraid the scenario I just ran through is the approach that so many times people take to the Word of God. They look for loopholes rather than what the Lord said. How many of you have heard of the television show The Bachelorette? One person admitted it. Larry did. All right, good. <laughs> Other than that, you guys just groaned. Um, I, I, in the interest of full disclosure, I've never one time watched uh, that show. I probably never will. I prefer shows about wilderness or gold mining or catching crabs in Alaska. But uh, uh, at any rate, I've never watched a show, so I'm not giving a commentary on, on the show. It might be great. It might be horrible. I don't know. Um, but uh, every day uh, on my phone, I have an app for the USA Today and Fox News, and I generally peruse them both. And one day I was reading the paper, and there was an article that pertained to faith found in the USA Today about The Bachelorette. Y'all still with me? Good. It's amazing. I'll preach about the truths of God's Word, and it's just kind of ho-hum. And I say, Bachelorette, and it's like, what? Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> 
So I'm reading this thing, and it, it tells the story. Again, I don't know the background. Some of you might know. All I know is what I read in the paper. Uh, there was a guy named Luke in the show last season. It couldn't have been too far back. And there was a, a girl named Hannah. And Hannah must have been the bachelorette, and Luke, I guess, is trying to get a date or whatever they do. I don't know. But um, the girl had proclaimed she was a Christian. And the guy apparently called her out on being immoral. Well, her response apparently was she nuked him, all right? Now, I read what she said, and I thought, no one could say that. And there was, you know, sometimes in the article, uh, they'll have a little clip of what the person said. I thought, I, I can't believe it. I got to hear what she said. And here's what she said in response to someone exposing, you're living a life outside of the context of what God's word says is right. She said, God loves me and I can do whatever. It wasn't like I can do whatever. It was like, I can do whatever and he's not going to judge me and I'm not going to stand for you judging me either. And when I heard that, my head almost exploded. <laughs> Look, I'm, I, I don't know Hannah. She may be nice. All right, some of you guys, this is like the only little thing. He said bachelorette today, that's bad or you think it's good or whatever. He, here's my point. Poor Hannah. She typifies the mindset of most modern-day contemporary Christianity. Now, I want you to hear me. It takes some kind of a perverted approach to the Word of God to say, you know, I like John 3.16. I think I'll take that one. God so loved the world, He loves me. But like those hundreds of other passages that say if you're a follower of God, you should live a holy life. He tells us how to live. I don't want to have anything to do with that. We've got to be so careful about that. Reading the Bible just to discern what is it that I want to have accomplished in my life. It's, it's not about that. The Bible has been given by God so that we can come to know Him and discover His will and then learn how that we can be uh, uh, matured and equipped to do what God wants us to do. In Isaiah 55, 11, the Bible says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return uh, unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing where to I sent it. God said, I've given my word for my purpose and as you apply it to your life, it's not going to come back void. Just believe it and follow it and you'll see the life that I have for you. Think of that. Jesus made it clear in this passage that the Bible is sufficient for all of us and for whatever we'll go through. Later in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 7, we read this. Therefore, the Lord says, whosoever heareth, everybody say heareth, these sayings of mine, and doeth, everybody say doeth. So we've got some that hear and do. Jesus said, I'll liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. I want you to know Jesus makes it clear the scope and power of his word in that verse and it's based to whosoever, that's anybody. He says, hey, this message is for everyone. But he said, you know, those who are going to see the power of the word of God at work in their lives, it's those who hear and those who do. 
It's not those who want to just cherry pick here and there, and I kind of like that part of God and this part and what He can do for me, but I don't want any of the rest of it. No, it's people that hear the Word of God. They get in the book until the book gets in them. They read and study. They, uh, by way of illumination, let God put the light on the Scripture so that they can get the interpretation, so that they can make an application, and after hearing, get involved in doing. you can imagine I'm a big fan of Bible study but for most of us in this room today we need to put the practice stuff we already know I'm not against more hearing but we need to think of that doing part and I love the Lord said, let, let me tell you how to deal with Satan, how to deal with temptation, how to deal with test, how to deal with adversity in times of need as he was. He said, it's all found in the power of Scripture. Friends, I'm glad to tell you it's sufficient today. It's completely reliable. It works for you just as it does for me. My prayer today is that we be people of the book people of God's way what he says we mark it down as true we say Lord how can I live this out in my life I'm telling you that's how you come to the place where one day at the end of the race of our lives we can hear things like well done good and faithful good and faithful our father we're grateful today to know that your word is indeed true that it's inspired that it is profitable Lord, I pray that you'd help us be the kind of people that want to get in your book because we know in many ways it's a manifestation of who you are and your will for our lives. And God, I pray that we would follow the Bible, that we would live the Bible, that we wouldn't just play games and act it out or cherry pick a verse here and a verse there that makes us feel good about what it is we're doing. God, I pray that we would read and learn and hear so that we could obey apply and do god help us to be sincere authentic true to that which you'd have for us help us we pray let's just keep our heads bowed for a moment we're going to have a time of prayer uh, in